I want to just uh, do a second session on this uh, message I did uh, a week or so ago uh, called Destined to Reign. Destined, that's a good thing. Destined to Reign. That's your destiny. Of course, not a lot of everyone actually does it. But we're destined to reign. To reign means we get victory. To reign means to walk in authority, to walk in empowerment, to walk like a king in the earth, to walk like a king. Isn't that great? To walk like a king, live like a king, begin to act like a king. And uh, so we read in Romans uh, 5.17, If by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more shall those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting, notice what it resulted in? Condemnation. Even so, by one man's righteous act, the free gift of righteousness came to all men, resulting in justification to life. For as by one man's disobedience, many made sinners, by one man's obedience, many more are made righteous. How many know that by Adam's fall you were made a sinner? How many know now you're made righteous? And that's the thing we've got to get a hold of. We're not sinners now, we're righteous people. We're righteous people. You see, all said yes, but actually in the heart, often we don't really believe it. It's in the heart we need to really believe that. Notice here, when the law entered, the law entered, so the offenses might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So sin reigned in death, grace reigns through righteousness. Notice the two things, righteousness and grace. Well, they're lovely church words because you don't hear much anywhere else. But we need to understand what they mean. Jesus made an interesting statement. Uh, when he spoke to the people of his day, he just said this to everyone. He spoke to people, God's people. And he said, if you're burdened and heavy laden, if you've got pressures and demands and never feel good enough, never feel like you're good enough, because it seems like there's something you didn't do, something you failed, there's something wrong, some mistake you've made. He was talking to a group of people living under the law. He was talking to people who lived, and their way of being righteous with God was to try and keep all the rules of the law. He was talking to a people who were burdened, because under the Pharisaical system, they had all these additional rules they had to keep. Don't touch this, don't touch that, wash your hands after this, got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. In other words, their whole religious system was full of rules, regulations, things you had to do to be a good person. And Jesus said, if, if you've come to the place where you're burdened and heavy laden with all of that, if you find that consistently you're never feeling good enough, consistently you're always aware of your false facts and fa uh, failures, uh, lacks and failures, he said, come to me. Didn't say come to a Bible. Say, come to me. The Bible has its place to lead us to Him. The Bible has its place to lead us to Him. He said, search the Scriptures. You think you find life in them. He said, these speak of me, but you won't come to me. See, life is in a person. Life is found in a relationship. 
He said to the people under the burden of the law, he said, if you're heavy and burdened and under condemnation and judgment and guilt, he said, come to me. He said, and he said, and take my yoke on you. And because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, so he's describing now what it means to walk under Jesus' yoke. Now, the yoke, as you remember when Shane was here, yoke was referred to the teachings of a rabbi. And so to come under the yoke of a rabbi means to come under the teaching and requirements of the rabbi. And so those in, the, in that day were under the yoke of the Pharisees, which was a yoke of many requirements. And it was burdensome, and people couldn't keep it. But Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In other words, what I require of you is easy and light. So what then is our Christian life? What did Jesus say it would be like? Easy, light. Easy, light. So anytime your Christian life is not easy and light, you've shifted somewhere. Because he said, when you're under what I require, not under what people require, not under what a church you may think it may require, not under some laws and what you think they may require. He said, when you are yoked to me, when actually you are responding to what I'm asking of you, it's easy and light. It's not hard. He said, he said, for, he said, he said, he said this, learn of me. Let me teach you. Let me teach you because I'm meek and lowly in heart. And he said, I can teach you. So God wants to teach us how to live a life that's easy and light. So if it's easy and light, there'd be no reason to be weighed down with heaviness. If it's easy, there'd be no use that you wouldn't have to be serious or troubled or agitated or stressed out. When you're stressed out and when you're heavy, something is not right inside. You're not reigning anymore because it's no longer easy and light. So one of the sure signs that we're not walking in the freedom we're called to walk in is when it becomes not easy and very heavy. See, so the Christian life is easy and light. Now you see, it's going in and you're thinking about it because what, you, what you'll be doing right now is you'll be measuring up your experience with what the Word says and finding there's a difference between what you experience and what God's Word says. And the problem is, what we tend to do is negate God's Word and live from what we've currently experienced, even if it isn't agreeable with what God says. Easy, light. Easy, light. Easy, light. What about the yoke of other people? Heavy, burdensome, serious, stressful, demanding, pressured, judgmental, horrible. See? If you live to please people, if you live to make people happy, stressful, heavy, burdened, bad. If you seek to please an audience of one, that's Jesus Christ, easy, light. Easy, light. Most of the problems come because we're trying to please someone else rather than just please the Lord. And he talks about reigning in life. But what he's talking about reigning in, he's not talking about reigning over people or anything like that. He's talking about having dominion where before we were defeated and powerless. What got us defeated and powerless? Sin. But much more than sin, it was the power of sin. We couldn't break free of being sinners continually, no matter what we tried to do. And not only that, not just the power of sin, but the presence of sin. You always feel there's something wrong with you. 
and, 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 and also the consciousness of sin. So when uh, uh, I ask believers, do you, uh, do you know you're forgiven? They say, yes, I know I'm forgiven. You ask them the question, do you feel forgiven? Then they all go quiet because they reflect and realize, actually, I'm not so conscious I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm quite conscious I've got a lot of lacks and problems in my life. So that's hard and burdensome. It's not easy and light. So the entrance of sin, he, he, notice what he said there. He says in verse 21, sin reigned. When sin reigns, then this is what happens. When sin reigns, well, it's not only you do bad stuff, but actually you live a kind of life where you are separated. It says the wages of sin is death. So here's what happens. Notice this, the wages of sin is death. So when we're living under the power of sin, when we're living in sin consciousness, this is what happens. You are aware you are separated and isolated. What you are conscious of is failures and lacks all the time, and you are separated or you sense a distance between you and God. God feels a long way off. That's death. See? And not only that, you get separated from yourself. You cover over all the things that are going on and get disconnected from yourself, and, you get, and we get separated from people. We feel afraid of people, afraid to be open, afraid to share our life, afraid to engage in real relationships. But Adam and Eve were never like that. They were not conscious of sin. The Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. So they could connect with one another, connect with God. Why? There was no sin consciousness. But the entrance of sin brought concealment, covering, secrecy, guilt, fear, shame, and hiding. That was the entrance of sin. And that has reigned and continues to reign over people. Now, notice what it says. Those who receive two things. Receive the free gift of righteousness and receive abundance of grace will reign in life. That means they do not live conscious of sin, not live conscious of lack, not live conscious of failure. See, that's what the law will do to you. In the Old Testament, the Bible laid out laws and regulations or requirements of God to be accepted before him. The problem with the law is it can't give you any power. It just shows you where you're going wrong. So by the law, by laws, you become conscious of something wrong. Now, what is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is to make you aware there's something missing so I could come to Christ and then be righteous through him, not through trying harder. And so he talks there about now the possibility of living and receiving abundance of grace and a free gift of righteousness. So the free gift of righteousness is a gift. If it's a work, I, I have to, it's not a gift. So we need to understand a couple of things. One is what Jesus did for us. And then I want to share with you then how we actually can get this into our life and into our heart. I want to show you just two or three things about what Jesus did. Because one of the things I feel God just bringing a fresh emphasis for us individually and corporately is an awareness of the work of the cross. Back into the realms, simple realms of faith, learning how to believe God. Now, here's the thing. If you come and try and pray and you're not convinced you're righteous, your prayers will just bounce off the roof. If you are not convinced and conscious of your righteousness before God, you will continually feel something's wrong with me. And of course, if you're in a church, you'll have a heap of people pointed out too. And there you are. They can't all be wrong. 
And uh, so it's, this is an area to grow into, to grow into the realm and lay hold of righteousness by faith. Let me just show you a couple of things that Jesus did in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 27. Now, this is Jesus' death on the cross. And uh, verse 50, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who were fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves at his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, I want you to see here, this is Jesus' death on the cross. Now, the Bible says the law came by Moses, but something else came through Jesus. Grace and truth and empowerment, grace. And the ability to live the life God wants us to live. The ability to live free. Now notice when Jesus died on the cross. Now when you, I've been with a few people who are dying. Here's one thing I found in common with all people who are dying. They peter out. It's true. If you ever sat with dying people, uh, unless they're really disturbed, and then they can be quite disturbed and gargle and gurgle, all kinds of sounds gone. But majority of people I've sat, that, that, that I've been with when they died went quietly. Now notice what Jesus did. It, he didn't go quietly. I don't think Lynn will either. He didn't go quietly. He didn't go quietly. So what did he do? Now you've got to realize this. He has been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been scourged. He's been humiliated. He's been so weakened that he fell under the weight of the cross, been nailed to the cross, hang on the cross for three hours. And you know what he does just before he dies? He shouts loudly. That's not someone weak. Look what it says. He said with a loud voice. That word is a shout of triumph and mastery over enemies. That's what it means. In other words, his last thing he did before he died was give a victory shout. That's pretty good, isn't it, eh? Who thought Jesus was quiet? He's up on the cross dying. You think, this is not fair. It's so bad. I tried to love him. And he gave a shout of triumph over his enemies. That's how he died. And then he yielded his spirit. He didn't die weak. He didn't die fearful. He died triumphantly. As he died on the cross, those demon powers that influenced people to hang him on the cross had no idea what he was doing. No idea. He was God's lamb. He was God's perfect offering. He was God in man. He was God, God's man's representative went to the cross representing all of humanity. And so he gave a loud cry. What did he cry? It is finished. The work of redeeming man, the work of healing, the work of deliverance, the work of making men righteous, the work of getting a life holy and right. I finished it. If he's finished it, then why would you have something to do? Think about that. Unless you want to add to the cross. Now notice what God did in response. So God did something. You notice the veil that kept people from the presence of God 
God, it made me send a big angel. I just loved it. Wish I could have seen it. The angel just got the curtain. Now, we've got to realize when Jesus was dying on the cross, at the very point he died on the cross, God's true lamb, God's true offering, God's true sacrifice, right there in the temple, at that very moment, the high priest was cutting the lamb's throat, slaying the lamb, shedding the blood, about to go alone into the holiest of holies, and to his horror, there is a loud ripping sound and the curtain that kept everyone out rips from top to bottom, thrown aside. Everyone's got to look in there now. Means you don't need anyone to go on your behalf to God. One person, Jesus Christ, has done it. Our representative has made a way once and for all into the mighty presence of God. It's done. Your way into God's presence is done. The work is done. The work is done. If you'll just believe it, the work is done. It's done. Don't you try to make yourself better to come to God. Don't you try and make yourself a better person to be pleasing to God and accepted by God. Someone else did the work. Then God did a second thing. He shook the earth violently and broke open the graves. Why did he do that? That's not a nice thing to do. Is it really? Well, think about it, eh? But stunning. You have an earthquake. We've had a few earthquakes. But imagine, you know, you saw the earthquake down the crushes, the buildings and so on. But what you didn't see, imagine if the, the graveyard suddenly split open, you know, down an orchard road. Suddenly there's these fracture lines run right down through the whole of the graveyard. Suddenly all the graves are broken. Oh, 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 yuck. That's ghastly. Why did he do that? I won't share all of the reasons why, but let me give you one reason why. Because what he wanted to do was expose to view the consequence of sin is death, corruption. And he broke it open so you can all see. And then three days later, now this is the scary bit. You read the Bible and don't even think about it. The people in the graves got up and came out of the graves. That is freaky. That is freaky. It's like something out of a zombie story, isn't it? Come on, you just see, we don't think about it. But you imagine standing there by a grave, and there's just bones in there. Suddenly they rattle and creak, and skin forms on them, and here they stand up. What would you do? You would run. You wouldn't be having a nice little Bible study on the work of Christ. You'd be running, <laughs> screaming. You know it. See, so what is he doing in this? He say, one, the way to God is made open and plain now. Two, the consequence of sin is brought out to the light to see it, for everyone can see it. And three, now... That sacrifice is acceptable for all men because a whole group of people got up out of the grave and overcame the consequence of sin. The power of sin, its consequences, God totally, totally. You want to re I believe you should go back into the Bible and start to study Jesus' words on the cross and study about the death on the cross and have a look at it in the Old Testament. You know, the story in the Old Testament required five offerings to put in a picture form what Jesus did in one thing on the cross. 
peace offering, burnt offering, sorry, and sin offering, and so on. So, there it is. So, what happened? Now, in Colossians 2, it says something else happened spiritually. This is the bit that I want to get to. Something happened spiritually. It says, Jesus forgave all our trespasses. Historically, 2,000 years ago, he forgave all your trespasses. There they are. Well, 1,000 years ago, you weren't born ago. 1,500 years ago, not born again. 1,200 years ago, 100 years ago, no. Well, maybe one or two. But here we go. There we're right up to now. Your sin and all your sins forgiven. It's stunning. Astonishing. All our sins forgiven. All our sins forgiven. So we can be made righteous by trusting in what Jesus did. Whoa. No, so it says in Colossians, it said, He took away or removed the list of all our transgressions. Now, if you've taken that list, written them all out, line upon line, everything you'd said, did wrong, thought wrong, desired wrong, everything, wrote them all out on a list. Jesus took them to the cross, canceled their power, and notice the word, He disarmed spiritual powers. This was the weapon they use against people. The devil uses sin and condemnation and judgment against you to hold you in bondage. That is his primary weapon. He's called the accuser. The primary weapon the devil uses against you is condemnation. An overwhelming sense, an awareness, a consciousness, there's something wrong with me because of that. The devil is reigning over you. You are not reigning. You are definitely not reigning. And what you'll do is you'll either live under it, and if you're a Christian, then you'll come under the law and try harder to be a good person. The consequence of that is you cover over what's going, you won't deal with what's going, there'll be judgments in your heart, judgments against others, anger, you'll erupt in resentment because you're, you're not feeling right on the inside. That's why so many people don't live a very successful life because they don't understand what Christ has done. And they don't live conscious of it. They've got a head knowledge, but not a heart awareness and revelation. I am righteous before God by His work, not my own work. It's a revelation. It needs to come to the heart. Let me just flow in just a couple of things. I won't go into these in detail. Let me just throw a couple of stories. You know, there's a woman caught in adultery. And uh, she caught the very act. So there's no doubt she did it. No doubt she did it. No doubt she was wrong. No doubt what the penalty was. You know what Jesus said to her? What His words were? Where are your accusers? They're all gone. He says, now notice what he says, neither do I condemn you. Now, where did he talk about her sin? Well, after he'd said no condemnation, I don't condemn you. See, this is the heart of God is not to condemn us. There's no condemnation in Christ. None. There's none in Christ. None. Did she feel condemned? Oh, yes. Had she done wrong? Yes, she had. Had she done real wrong? Yes, she done real wrong. However, he said, I don't condemn you. It's hard to get hold of, isn't it? Then he said, now, so I give you no condemnation. Now you can go and sin no more. He didn't ignore the sin thing, but he gave her grace first. Grace means you get no condemnation. Then you're free to start to live out and begin to live the kind of life. Now, you notice the order that you get. No condemnation first, now live out the life. No condemnation, now live out the life. What about the woman with the alabaster box? Now, you know the story, you're very familiar with it, so I won't go into all it, Luke 7. But the woman with the alabaster box comes, remember how she wept over him? She poured out, she cried, crying, and wiping. And she just, now, notice this. She probably was a prostitute. But notice, no condemnation. 
Now here's the other thing. Not only no condemnation, no consciousness of being a sinner. How do we know there's no consciousness of being a sinner? Because she's absolutely uninhibited. She went into a room full of religious leaders, ignored them all, couldn't care two hoots what they thought about her, couldn't care two hoots about their rules, regulations, what they thought. I am forgiven! And she was, because of knowledge of her forgiveness, able to be uninhibited in expressing herself. Why? Why are people so uptight? I'll tell you there's two good reasons. One, self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is a bondage to self. The other is fear of what people will think. If you could do something you'd love to do, what would it be? See? But you see, we worry about what people think. We're fearful of what people think, and we're conscious of ourselves, so don't do it. But David was a man who had, he lived in no condemnation. He lived in this grace of the New Testament. That's why God loved him so much. He was aware of that fullness of grace. So what could he do? He could just dance and be himself. He's a king, doesn't care what people think. You know what? The church is full of people. Worry what people think. Oh, that's a burden. Because you can't control what they think. You've got to guess. Try and outwit them. How can I outwit them? I'll try and pretend to be something better than they think I am. It's a nonsense game. Full of religiosity. We're not called to be worried about what people think. Opinions of man. Jesus never lived that way. Just lived a free life. Why? No condemnation. It's condemnation creates that problem. Condemnation. See, sin reigns. Why? Because it brings sin consciousness and self-consciousness. But we're called to righteousness. And when you're called to righteousness, you lose sin consciousness. Now, it doesn't mean you don't sin or fail or make mistakes and have to put things right. Or it doesn't mean you got, haven't got any lacks. You don't need to learn things on the way. What it means is you do not live under the spirit of condemnation and judgment. You live free. People say, you did that. Yeah, you're right. Oh, well. Yeah, you're right. I brought it to the cross. It's fine. Jesus told me he's forgiven me. Have you got a problem? Oh, you have. Tell me your problem then. Oh, you're upset and offended. Come on, this is what goes on. We have to deal with all that kind of stuff. And so, let me just, fin- I'll just finish up here. So, what do we need? So, we're not to try and make us this. Here's the dilemma that Christians get into all the time. In Romans 10, it says, being ignorant of God's righteousness, try to get themselves righteous before God by doing things. God is not more pleased with you today than he was yesterday. He loves you in Christ. He loves you. He never changes. You are loved in Christ. When we come to Christ, there's now no condemnation to them in Christ. So if I've got condemnation, where is it coming from? It isn't coming from God. And if you judge and fault find and point the finger, you aren't coming from God. You're coming from hell. That's true. That's what Jesus was against, that religious spirit, that whole religious spirit. So how can I get right? Well, there's a, there's a righteousness that comes just by believing, by faith. Let me just give it to you in a, in a couple of lines. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, I want you to see this, and then I'll finish and give you just the practical things. Just so, they're so simple. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, about how your life gets changed. Go to a course. Great. And it'll help you, I'm sure. But look at this, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? There is? 
liberty. We can always tell where the Spirit of God is moving freely because you're free. You laugh. You have fun. You enjoy life. And even if there's stresses, we learn how to put them on the Lord. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, that looks so hard to read. So let, let me just make it really clear. The word behold is literally to look in a mirror. To look in a mirror. How many looked in the mirror this morning? Come on. You know what you do when you look in the mirror? Oh my God. Do <laughs> you notice? When you look in the mirror, what do you, who do you see? <laughs> you see yourself. What do you tend to focus on? The things that are wrong. Try and make them look better. Why? So you'll be accepted. Isn't that crazy? Well, I guess it's quite practical, really. But this is what this one says. It says, seeing in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In other words, what it's saying is, can you see yourself standing in front of a mirror, and when you look in the mirror, you see Jesus Christ? Now, just be, take me, just be careful. That's who you really are. That's who your new identity is. Because in the Bible say we're called to be conformed to the image of his son. So when you look in the mirror, when, the Bible says, now we like looking in the mirror at what are you beholding? Not beholding your faults. Not beholding everything that's wrong. But seeing who the new person is. Oh, that's who I am. Loving, kind, generous, joyful. That's who I am. Oh, I keep forgetting. Other people remind me of where I used to be, but I do remember being water baptized and burying that man. Why do you keep digging him up again? That zombie from hell. I buried him. I'm a new creation now. What do I look like? I look like Jesus Christ. And notice what it says. If you will keep seeing yourself that way, beholding, like looking in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ, beholding all God's goodness and glory. What the Bible says will happen is you will be changed by the Holy Ghost to become just like that. So how do you get changed? Not by looking at all your faults. That won't change you. You've already done that for years. Didn't work, did it? You've got to behold the glory of the Lord. So what do I need to do? How do I do that? I need to see, instead of looking in the mirror, instead of seeing everything that's wrong with me, becoming failure conscious, shortcoming conscious, lack conscious, self-conscious, and then wanting to hide that and cover it and present something different, and becoming a hypocrite, what I need to do is to look again, and as I'm in prayer, begin to meditate, and see the person of Jesus Christ as the Bible reveals, and see him as he is, what his glory is like, what is like all his goodness, and see, that's me, that's me. Oh, I'm one with him. I'm joined one spirit with him. That's who I am. That's the new me. That's what he looks like. I need to learn what that new me looks like. So how do you do it? It's quite simple, really. You have to make a conscious practice, I believe, of rejecting being condemned. Anytime that condemnation, that heaviness, that burdensome stuff comes on you, your thinking's gone twisted somewhere, your consciousness is no longer on God. So quickly do these kind of things. One, this is what I felt, is, is picture, picture Jesus Christ. Picture him, allow the Bible and the way the Bible describes him to become an image that you can look at and meditate on. Picture him. Make it personal. See, that's me. 
That's who I'm becoming like. That's who I am now by faith. Now by faith I am that person. That is the new creation man. The old man died. The old man was buried. I remember doing that water baptism. This is the new me. Oh, that's the new me. Oh, that's the new me. Whoa, that's a beautiful person, the new me. New me's really loving. New me's really kind. New me's a, so you need to begin to look at that, meditate on it, and embrace it in your heart as you do that. Confess it, declare it. That's who I am. I'm a loving person. The love of God flows through me. I'm united with Christ. We are so one that His love, His nature just flows through me all the time. I need to meditate in it, picture it, picture it, personalize it, see it's me, confess it and declare it. I need to declare it. I need to keep repeating that. You start practicing doing that, consciously saying, that's who I am. That's the kind of person I am. You explore the Bible, you're looking for who Jesus is, and you practice meditating. That's who I am. I'm joined to him. I am one with him. That's who I am. That's my new creation. And you begin to call that person forth by faith. And you know what the Bible says? We are then conformed into that image. I think what you focus on, you become like. You focus on your faults, you become more faulty. Focus on Jesus and his righteousness, you become more like him. That's what the Bible says. So you make that your focus, make that the focus of your meditation. Now, you say, that seems so crazy, but the Bible says to do it. And that's how you get changed. Oh, well, what about the bit where I have to do something? No, no. You're focusing on who you are now that you're in Christ. Who I am now that I'm in Christ. Oh, the old man's gone away. There is a new person coming forth, vibrant, lively, passionate, full of praise. And you begin to let it rise up in you and express the new you. Don't live out of the half-hearted, desperate, heavy, depressed old you. Bury it. Because it was buried with Christ when he was buried. But there's a new person risen that's waiting to break out. He's only contained by your old thinking. So as we begin to meditate and renew the inner pictures and we seek this is the new me. Something rises in you. Something rises up. That's who I am. That's who I am. I knew I was like that. Someone was telling me lies. Amen. See, so why don't we do that? Why don't we begin to start to study what Christ has done for us? Begin to meditate on, meditate who the new you is in Christ. And begin to start to stand up. Who is the new you? Well, it's bold in coming into the presence of God. Who is the new you? Loving. Loving. So you feel a bit negative. Well, I'm going to be loving. I can be loving because the new me is loving. The old one, well, they would have got really angry. Forgiving. The new me is a forgiving person. I don't sit on offenses for years. No, 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 no. No, I respond real quick. Just get him out of my system just like that. Why? Because there's a new me in here that's called Christ. No longer I that's living. Christ is living in me. Why? I'm focused on him. It's not my life anymore. I'm living a new life. His life. It's not so hard. Picture, personalize, repeat it over, confess it, and see it as being who you are. You'll find your life changes by the Spirit of the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord moves, the great liberty. Liberty, liberty, liberty. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Come on, keep the old buried then out of sight. Keep focusing on the new. A new creation man formed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. 
Hallelujah. Come on, let's just stand to our feet, shall we? Man, I feel excited. I feel myself stirring. Righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Righteous by faith in Jesus Christ.